Hey, Retention Pros. I'm Noah Rahim today, and I lead partnerships here at Malomo. I'm super pumped to continue to chat with ecosystem experts alongside Mariah, who you all already know and love. Say hi, Mariah. Hey, everyone. As you probably know, Retention Chronicles likes to bring in some of the best retention-focused brands in the Shopify ecosystem. But we don't just feature brands. We also feature some great thought leaders in the Shopify ecosystem that serve those brands. And because we always want these conversations to be fun, you'll hear us talk to our guests about what they're excited about and what's helped them get to where they are today. We hope you'll stick around to learn and laugh with us. Retention Chronicles is sponsored by Malomo, a shipment and order tracking platform improving the post-purchase experience. Be sure to subscribe and check out all of our episodes at gomalomo.com. Hello. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Good, man. I said I'm just gonna kick us off. I'm, I'm, I'm good with with whatever. Um, I'm a sniper on these things. I'm so in my zone. I love this shit. Oh, <laughs> incredible! Fucking, That's definitely the is... promo clip right there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Welcome to Retention Chronicles. I'm Noah Rahim today, the head of partnerships here at Malomo, and today uh, Mariah and I are joined by Vasa Martinez, the captain uh, and founder at Growthbuster. Welcome, Vasa. It's great to have you, man. Thanks for having me. Stoked to be here. Awesome. First of all, how how was the weekend? What'd you do? Um, big sports weekend. UCLA okay. is two and zero, so that's good. Uh, nice. Yesterday was my girlfriend's birthday, so we had a mellow day of watching hours on end of uh, NFL. So it was very mellow. Who are okay. who are the teams? She's a Tom Brady fan. I don't think she has like a team team. Okay. So she'll, wherever he goes, if he was playing for like the. LA defenders or something like that. She liked the <laughs> defenders. So um, she likes them. I'm unfortunately a Jags fan. Um, mm-hmm. I followed them when I was, I went to UCLA, I graduated in 07. And my freshman year, I lived next to Maurice Jones Drew. He was just Maurice Drew then. Oh. And, and uh, Mercedes Lewis. So I followed them. They both got drafted, same draft, first and second round in uh, 2006, my junior year. And uh, so I followed them ever since. But I, I might have to make some sort of transfer request to the, the Chargers or the Rams. <laughs> That's yeah, funny. Sure. Yeah. My dad's the same way, like follows Tom Brady um, wherever he goes. But for, yeah, it's, it, it is just funny. Like seeing like if people like, I feel like for me, I'm not a huge football fan. So just seeing like people I'm like, oh, I like that person. So I'll just like follow them around. Um, I feel that's like really I, funny. Yeah. I really feel like Tom Brady is the most followed athlete in that sense of all time. Like I hear that more about him than anybody else. Like normally you have a team, you don't have a player. I hear that all the time about Tom Brady. And it might be one of those like weird effects because I'm a Colts fan. Of course, I notice that. <laughs> I notice <laughs> that Tom Brady love yeah. a lot more than the average. You got to uh, love the goat, right? So <laughs> Uh, yeah, I saw too. Like this, this uh, is the first time ever. I think four teams in the same division started off the year, and nobody had a win. Uh, <laughs> but two teams played each other, and yeah. that was, <laughs> that was <laughs> the Colts and the uh, the Houston. Uh, the uh, Texans yesterday. Yeah, awful, awful division. Yeah, it is. Luckily for us, though, because we're not great yet, and uh, maybe we get a, maybe we sneak into the playoffs. But yeah, always, always enjoy football coming back. It was a great day yesterday for us too. Um, let's let's get into some shop talk, Vasa. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your background, um, and then leading up to and including 
the founding of Growth Buster. Yeah, so the that whole story starts when I graduated in 07. We had that recession. It's pretty gnarly. I got I had a couple of real weird jobs out of UCLA. I was like, <laughs> whoa, like is this really what happens after college? This sucks. I, 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 I turned down an internship at the UN. Um, I had partied too hard in college and wanted to get home and revive my health. And that's exactly what I did. I had a surgery I had to deal with anyway. And um, I started working after I was done with the surgery and healing. I, I worked for a company that's actually freaking enormous now. It was called Rapid7. There's like four or five people in this office, small office in Torrance, where I actually live now, like just down the street. And I was like, I suck at this. I don't know what network security is. Uh, I just needed my salary thing so I could get my car out of college. Uh, and I left with probably within a month and then I worked for some shady chiropractor. I, I finally, <laughs> finally, I, I was like, what am I doing? It's like one of my friends told me that, that he got robbed or something. And I, I was just driving by a TGI Fridays. So that's actually right where I live right now. And I walked in and I was like, F it. Yeah, I've got to, I've got to do something. And I walked in, I applied to be a host. The GM was really nice. He gave me a server job. And then from there I worked and learned from a pretty pretty intense corporate company and then worked in the Hermosa beach for five years after that. And then finally I said, Hey, I got to do something else. And I got an unpaid internship at quest nutrition, my favorite protein bar. They were brand new. Yum. This is back when they had chicory root fiber. So I, I remember I was working at my old job. I bought the bar at the liquor store right next to it, put it in the fridge, almost broke a tooth off. Cause I didn't know chicory root fiber gets really like hard. <laughs> um, but, but either way, I still applied for that unpaid internship. And I was able to prove that I was a hard worker and, you know, I was smart enough to be there. And from there, I learned for four years straight, just from some of the awesomest, most talented people ever, like people from Quest that has, have left, have started successful agencies, have gone on to work like brands like Califia Farms. One is now like, like the CEO of OnlyFans. Like yeah, Amy, Amy worked in marketing um, and we, uh, we were pretty close to each other for um, those years I was there, it was like, yeah, there's so many successful people that I was able to learn from all of them. I'm still a sponge to this day. But after four years, I decided I was going to go be a director of marketing somewhere. And if you think about it, unpaid intern to director of marketing in four years, pretty, pretty quick. Yeah. Um, and I, I just realized, man, I don't know right now if I, I cannot afford to have my growth stunted. So I had to do something pretty drastic. Mm -hmm. And I started my agency and it was initially a consultancy. And I was working for some cool CPG brands. Um, first couple of clients were, I think, Proats, uh, NoCal when it was called D's Naturals and Cave Shake. And I was able to create like a system. And it was kind of nice because I was getting paid way more than a salary job because I could charge people, you know, a certain amount per month. I was like, damn, this is cool. The next year I incorporated it. I was able to get a company card and all of that good stuff. By the way, if you're a freelance right now, S Corp is the way. Trust me on it. By the way, it's not financial advice. For, for <laughs> why is that it's a pass-through entity so you're not getting taxed twice mm. so it's it's really nice um you still got to pay your taxes but i mean it's right. you're not getting double taxed sure um and then you know it really turned into something i brought on one of my close friends and he came on as a vp of growth and together we were just getting things done and this comes you know it's like february 2019 now i i'm working on another client they were called bear power foods and I see this company, we, we have a real good niche for low carb and keto products. And I see this company called Magic Spoon. Yeah. What, what, what are these guys up to? Yep. And I look and I said, it was like pre-launch, said low carb cereal or something like that. 
I don't think it said cereal. I think I just DM'd and I said, I don't know what, what you're doing, but sounds like something that's right up my alley. And I, I never do outreach for sales for GB. Never. They were one of the ones. And we talked for a couple months. We ended up working with them. We still work with them to this day, shooting content. And that was really the second chapter of GB where like, people came to us. Like, we heard you work with Magic Spoon. We want to work with you. And um, that's GB. And then I, finally, you know, as things happen, I, I want to continue to pursue growth. I started uh, Perfy. And sorry, that was a long ass answer, but that's, oh, man, that's, that's perfect. 15 years in like three minutes. We <laughs> want to dive into it. That's awesome. Uh, so like when you approach Quest, what what did, what were some of the the kind of the tasks that they put you to work on? And uh, over time, like how did you sort of round out to a point where you're ready to take on this huge sort of director level role? So first and foremost, the internship was on Craigslist. I was on Craigslist. This is back when you could find cool jobs on Craigslist. Craigslist. I responded to it. I said, hey, I think it was, I still have the screenshot in my phone. Oh my gosh, you have to give that to us. I want to see it. And and I said, hey, I I love Quest um, and I eat them all the time. I have no idea. I don't think I said I have no idea what I'm doing, but I'm not in the same industry. I'm down to be an unpaid intern. I don't, don't pay me. I can still work my job and I'll be fine. They said, come in for an interview tomorrow. And I went in at that interview. He said, cool, you got it. Um, when do you want to start? I was like, I could go back to my house in Hermosa and grab my computer and come back. He's like, done. <laughs> so I left that. And, I, and this is kind of weird, but I left that. And I, I was actually like pretty emotional when I walked out of the parking lot. Like, holy shit, this is going to be, this is the start of a new life for me. Yeah. Wow. Work, working in nightlife, you can get caught up in a lot of different things. And of course. I think I, I was a little far past that line of where I wanted to be. So that was a huge moment in my life. And then the things that they had me do, honestly, at first, but my first assignment was to put together a dry erase board. I am bad at Legos. <laughs> like, I am. I, can, I cannot build a Lego for the, like, I don't even care. There's instructions. I get lost. I got ADD. I'm like, anyway. So I had 20 bucks in my pocket. And I went to one of the facility guys. And I was like, hey, I'll give me 20 bucks if you build this dry erase board. For me. <laughs> he was like, done. You and learned so I, early to leverage your network. That's that's yeah. what that means. <laughs> so I went back in the office to my CMO's office. I was like, done. He was like, how'd you get it done? I, was like, I outsourced it. He's like, I love outsourcing. So I did shit like that for two months where I, no matter what the task was, if I couldn't do it, I'd find a way to get it done. Even if it wasn't me doing it, like I'd pay somebody to do it. I wouldn't you know, take advantage of anybody. Right. But that's kind of how it went for months on end. Finally, I became salary, worked my way up for a little while. Ultimately took over the cooking division, which was, probably my favorite time in my career where we were working with different influencers. This one Facebook live was new. So we were like really cutting edge on our marketing and really grew that quite tremendously by taking a different approach. And this is back when UGC content was a new type of term. Mm-hmm. We, we had foodies taking pictures of quest products, using different products to make recipes coming on live. Like we had an Olympic volleyball player bumping volleyballs while she was cooking to show how easy it was to make something with quest in under 15 minutes it's called cook clean in 15 wow. so that's a fun just, name yeah different different stuff like that where i was able to get different repetitions in different places and then to be honest to answer your second part of the question when i took a director of marketing job i wasn't ready and i think a lot of people aren't yet you're, you're going to grow into it as you kind of get your feet wet sure do you feel like that is sort of the the way to do it uh, to take it on, you know, to take on that next huge challenge before you're ready most of the time? Or if you were to go back, would you have taken a, a lesser role and sort of been more comfortable stepping into the the head honcho sort of position? 
Um, I definitely wasn't ready to be a CEO of a beverage company. So I think that, that, um, that kind of mantra lives in me where I, I think you'll learn as you go, as long as you're willing to. Right. So I think there's people that are open to that. Um, there's also a world where I think about, you know, what am I going to do after Perfy? Or what am I going to do after this time? What am I going to do in the next chapter of my career? How fun would it be to not be a high level, you know, uh, position, maybe just be like the director of social, which in and of itself is not an easy thing, but having the chops of building an agency, building a beverage company. I'd, I'd be way too boomer to be a director of social in the next five, 10 years, <laughs> though. I'll be like, I, I won't be with the times at that point. But uh, I do think of the the opposite where you're overqualified for a job. But oftentimes that's just as risky for whoever's hiring um, as somebody that's that's underqualified. Mm. I do want to say, I feel like you saying you would be too much of a boomer for that. I don't think that exists now, especially with TikTok. Like anyone can make it. So I, 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 um, I, what's the word I'm looking for? I support those dreams. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> I, th- I think from a strategy standpoint, I can hang with the best of them, but from a, like, it took me a while to figure out some of these new words that are out, you know, so mm. like keep, keeping up with the words, depending on where you consume your content, it's, it's tough to keep up with those. And if you use them in the wrong, like kind of way, in the wrong fair. context, you're, you're definitely boomed. But yeah. I, think, I, I think that's where hiring the right people will help get you through that. You could just kind of dictate the strategy and make sure it's executed on and all that. Yeah. Outsource the um, new dictionary that comes along. Yes. Yeah. 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 Outsourcing is ingrained from, yeah. from the get go of this career. It sounds like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That dry erase board was going to be the death of me, man. It was so, <laughs> it was so tough. So tough. <laughs> we love the honesty, though, here. Right. Yeah. Like, that's That's incredible. Uh, I want to ask about sort of what makes Growth Buster stick out from the pack. But before that, I'd love to hear how you sort of think about balancing the brand and the agency and what your sort of day-to-day looks like when, um, you know, you're really working two sides of the e-commerce, <laughs> of the e-commerce. There's, there's actually three sides. I'm also the CMO of Outer Isle. Oh my goodness. Wow. Okay. Did not know that. So, so add that to the list. Yeah. yeah. So that, um, how do I balance it? I, I kind of answer the question this way all the time. It's I give Perfy 100% of my time and I give Growth Buster and Outer Isle excess of that time. So I, I give more time per week than I should. But when you think about it, um, you got to take a step back. I was working 80 or 90 hour weeks for Growth Buster the first four, four years, I'd say. And when you're five, I finally had to take a step back in December, take five weeks off get some shit back to get, Oh, can, can I cuss on this one? Yeah, you're fine. <laughs> so, okay. um, yeah. Get get some things back in order. And, um, and I did that. And that helped me this year where it's not as hard as you might think. Yeah. I, I, I could probably do things more extensively in certain areas. Yeah. I could probably be on more client calls for the agency or yeah, I could put more slides together for a marketing deck for certain things. But ultimately I think the job's getting done across all and, nothing suffering too much, like nothing I could have controlled with GB. Yeah. It's a lot tougher these days with the economy. You know, we're not, we're not going to grow this year, but at that same time, on that same note, like I never really wanted to be a five or $10 million agency. I wanted to work with a handful of dope brands that are doing mm. really cool things that are solving problems in the food system. And that North star has always been there. So now, and then on top of that, it, and, you know, it's not all me doing the work. You know, I hired some really great people. You outsource um, some stuff, huh? <laughs> I mean, if that if we're considering hiring outsourcing, yeah, like I, I I delegate a lot of what I used to do. I used to take everything on, like no worries, I'll get it done. I'm gonna do it. I used to call them um what did I used to call my second second shift. I used to call it second shift. 
Okay. So I would do my like like as soon as I woke up, I'd go to the the computer and then I'd go until I couldn't anymore. Then I'd take a little nap, get back to it, and I just stopped doing that. And and the result of that has been the team has grown tremendously. We're smaller, but we're still, you know, everyone's getting better. And they can do a lot of things. You know, we do email, SMS now. We're still doing organic social. All of our systems from literally 2017 when I started this, like building an editorial calendar, and for those first three brands, that still exists today. So to answer your question, how do we stand out? Um, I don't know, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, poo on any other agencies. There's just a ton of us now. I, I don't yeah. know. I don't know if the answer is that we do stand out. You know, there's a lot of people creating very satellite agencies similar to the way I do. And I respect it because that's how GB started. Um, there's a lot more competition. There's a lot more UGC creators. There's the creator and uh, economy now. So there's a lot more competition. I don't know that we stand out the way that we used to, but I can tell you this, having worked on both sides of the table with both GB in the Outer Island, Perfy, I know that my team, they're going to go above and beyond in the hours. We might not always hit those KPIs, but we're, we're not going to do bare minimum. I'll put it that way. And I've, I have thousands, tens of thousands of dollars with Perfy that I, I wish I could get back um, in some instances where I know that GB wouldn't have done that. So now I lean, I lean pretty heavily on it. I don't pay GB through Perfy because that's a conflict of interest but I know that I can trust the team and their effort and, and their know-how to get certain things done for Perfy. So in a way I have a free marketing department. There's no such thing as free, but in a way. Did you, yeah. Brian, did you talk about quiet quitting on the, on the first episode? It sounds like Ghostbuster <laughs> is not quiet quitting. On the I don't know. Like, I, I just can't stand for that. Like I, I have pretty high expectations for the team. I want them to be their best. I want GB to be a platform for people to eventually, you know, grow in their careers like i want it to be like a plucking ground i i don't literally want people to pluck my employees but <laughs> i want them i want it to be like you want oh, them you to be so good yeah yeah I, I want it to be like oh you were at growth buster for five years like you'd be a great hire like that's my goal for the team it's not a one-dimensional what can they do for me it's like how good can i make gb and how much can i train them and give them the reps that they need so that once gb is ever done or whatever whatever happens with gb i don't plan on getting rid of it um you know, that they have a, a great career forward. Yeah. I think that's a great feather to like keep in your hat as well. Um, and with quiet quitting. Yeah. It's a, like the, have you heard of this Vasa? Okay. Yeah. So I, I, um, on a previous episode explained it to our other co-host Brian and it is an interesting phenomenon, but I, I think it's great that you have what it not from working at GB, obviously, but what sounds like a great like culture and kind of like Petri dish for like elevating, you know, all of the different parts that touch GB, whether it's your like coworkers or um, your employees and then like all the different brands that you're working with and, you know, just kind of creating that whole ecosystem. So I really respect like the honesty, honestly, that, um, you're like willing to share that obviously you don't want people to be poached from <laughs> from your agency but that you want to have that kind of like caliber and um that you expect to have great results i think is very respectable yeah well, i want them to be i want gb to be like a shining star on the on their resumes moving forward because i mean there was there's a couple i think three different opportunities to sell gb last year and i'm wow. glad i didn't you know like there's a lot of freedom that, that to be had when you own your own agency um and there's a lot of freedom especially when you could train a team to do a lot of the things that you were normally doing that right. you don't have to do anymore so I, I that's why like when you ask how do you have the time or how do you balance 
I can trust the hell out of the GB team to do client stuff. I'll jump in for the high level stuff and the, you know, certain client calls. Um, that's an important thing where I, it, they, they've bought me time to be able to work on Perfian for the past year. I mean, developing it, launching it, we're six months in now. So um, they've been able to get a lot of good experience. You said something that was really interesting from, you know, an agency founder's perspective, thinking about, and a, and a brand's perspective, right? Thinking about the balance of when to, when to leverage an agency rather than when to hire in-house to build it out or use the resources you have currently. There's probably a much more intelligent way to ask this question, but you sort of see where I'm going. Is there, do you have any thoughts or advice around like when you would say, you will save money by leveraging an agency, even though it seems more expensive up front. Cause it sounds like you ran into that problem yourself firsthand. Yeah. Um, so there were certain things where last year my team didn't have the time to do. We hired an Epic email agency. It was expensive, but you know, that, that, that's not any part of the, the funds I wish I had back. They are, they're fantastic. You probably know them, uh, David Bozen at structured there. I love them. Mm-hmm. Yep. And they helped out perfectly get our flows set up and all of that. But at some point I had to pull the plug on that because you've got to wait for retail to really kick in and it's a long little bit of a sales cycle. So I think it, going back to your, your actual question though, it's going to vary based on founder, you know, like there might be a founder that's epic at ops, someone or somebody who's just straight from, you know, wall street or someone who's a CFO experience, their strengths are going to be their strengths and their weaknesses and blind spots are going to be different than mine. So I didn't hire a marketing agency and it's, it's quite funny how many photography or studios or, marketing agencies reach out to, Hey, we want to work with Perfume. I'm like, can you beat $0 per month? <laughs> like, can you, yeah. if, you can, if you can, if you'll pay me to work from right. and we got something going, you know, GB can, can take a hike, but that's not the case. So, and it's not also, it's also not one of my weaknesses. I, I hired agencies for R and D and for ops. And those are two of my biggest weaknesses. I don't have an agency for finance right now, but we're not doing 10 million a year yet. Like that's one of the neck, that's one of the hires because it's one of my hugest weaknesses. So as a founder, the tools that I have in my tool belt are going to vary. So someone hiring an agency doesn't always mean a marketing agency. There might be an outsourced ops agency. There might be an outsourced R&D. Not everyone's a food scientist, you know? So everyone will have a point where they they come to the question of, should I hire this in-house or hire an agency? For me, I think an agency is a lot more flexible. There's probably a premium. You're definitely not getting 40 hours per person. Like, why, why should you? Like, I see both sides of the fence on this one. Like, why, sh- why should I get 40 hours of an agency person's time when I'm not paying for their phone or their Wi-Fi reimbursement or I'm not paying the payroll taxes on their, you know, on, on their employment? You know, depending on the state, it gets pretty crazy. Right. Um, so there's, there's benefits and savings to be had. I can tell you this. The ops agency I have, they're the most expensive, expensive invoice I get every, every month but it's not one that I'm scared of because they have saved me so much money. I cannot calculate it by knowing how to do X, Y, and Z or I would have been, I probably wouldn't have been able to launch Perfy until two years from now if I did all that stuff by myself. So um, just depends on the founders, my, my direct answer. Sure. Oh, that's really, really insightful. I think it's a, a super unique perspective that you have on that specifically. Um, okay. Shifting focus to retention a little bit, obviously we're on retention chronicles. We want to talk about the balance of retention and acquisition. And again, I think you bring a a unique perspective here. Um, So can you maybe just talk a little bit about brands who either lean too much on acquisition and neglect uh, retention uh, versus like uh, not, you know, realizing that retention is super important and then letting acquisition fall by the wayside. 
Yeah. Um, so with Outer Isle, people don't buy a lot of cauliflower products in Q4. So I I look at it as in two parts, like like a you know two halves. The first half is actually three quarters. How much can we acquire during those three quarters? And I call it house file. How many people are in our Facebook group? How many people have downloaded our app? How many people are in our messenger marketing group? How many people are on email? How many people are on SMS? How many people are affiliates? How many people are subscribed? I think that's all set up. And that is what I call house file. You can call it a Rolodex, digital Rolodex, whatever you want. House file to me. How do we bolster that with actual people that are interested in buying your product, Q1 through Q3? And then in Q4, when you know acquisition gets tough, the budget goes down a little bit. I, I Without around, like a lot of people say their budget goes high for Black Friday, Cyber Monday. But with, it depends on your product and it depends right. on the founder. Cauliflower is not that thing that someone's saying, oh, it's Black Friday. I got to line in my, you know, my four pack <laughs> right. of sandwich thins. Um, <laughs> it's just not, you know, like as many holiday recipes as we do, they help. And they're our top performers, but it's not like somebody cannot wait for a prime day, you know, cauliflower deal. So the way that we strategize there is really focus on retention. We focus on it every day of the year, but especially in Q4. And as a result, we've had record Q4s every year I've been there. From 2018, 2019, 2020, 2021. And now this year we'll break that record again. So I, I think that when people, there's always conversations about CAC and all of this. And yeah, it's expensive and CPMs are expensive and all that. But at the end of the day, you can quantify how much it costs to get somebody new in your house file. Now, getting out the duplicates, like someone might be an SMS subscriber, an email subscriber, um, you know, a, uh, so they might be in the Facebook group, they might be on the app, whatever. Still, net new is net new. And there is a cost that you can associate with that net new person in your house file. And there is an extremely positive correlation between growing your house file and retention sales. So another good example is with Outer Isle, they were, we were out of stock for you know a few months. We were doing some really cool things with um, operations. And I think our, our retention sales are like 60 or 70% right now, if not more, because we've had to focus on who are existing customers that have either bought or are in-house house file and have not bought. And we have different strategies for both of those buckets. And then you can really drill in on you know, what have they bought, what have they not bought. Uh, if they're purchasers, if they're not purchasers, you know, what things have they clicked on? What things have, do they, have they not, what emails have they not opened? There's certain things you can do to really zoom in on certain people and try to turn those into sales. And it all goes back to viewing it as how many people have, am I adding into my house file? Mm. So it sounds like there's, uh, you know, the, the, the overarching advice is like, know when to be in acquisition mode and know when to retain and grow those customers that you've just acquired. And I think a great example of that, of course, is Black Friday, Cyber, Cyber Monday, when a lot, when it is a bit very heavy time for a lot of brands, not necessarily all, like we just heard. Um, but I, I find it very fascinating that brands will spend like all of this time and effort and money <laughs> acquiring customers around Black Friday, Cyber Monday, but then they have no strategy in place to retain and grow those customers. The question at the end there is like in Q4, when you see, um, you know, record record levels of sales through retention, like what are some strategies that you employ to achieve that? Relevant emails. We, we, we view emails, organic social, like any sort of owned media as its own strategy. And they all have to be communicating with each other. So there might be a world where you have a retail rollout in Q4. You know, we had a new, we typically launch new products in Q4. 
We historically have had awesome new retailers in Q4. So there's other things to talk about that support the business. And we, we have a strategy and it's not too you know, niche anymore. Like you've got to support retail and food and beverage. So an email that says, Hey, we just rolled out into X many sprouts or X many whole foods, or even if it's regional, there's ways that you can geo-target your, who you're sending this email to. So if you're sending to Wegmans in the Northeast, it's someone in Los Angeles isn't getting that email. So you've just got to have some sort of intent with it. It can't just be an email blast. It can't just be a promo blast. You've got to continue. Like the game within the game is how do you get people to continue opening emails? Absolutely. And, and, or how do you get people to like, you know, be responsive to, to SMS? So all of our SMS messages aren't, you know, here's a promo or here's a new product or give me something. Sometimes we like the team is really great about throwing a random puzzle in there or brain teaser or something fun, like a meme even to continue having that brand voice and not always being pushing for the sale. Yeah. Um, what, I, I forgot what I was going to say um, when I lost my train of thought before that question. Uh, but if it comes back now, I'll, I'll drop it. Well, we were, we were talking about sort of like acquisition mode for black Friday, cyber Monday, and then yes, nothing. <laughs> yeah. Um, so what, what I was going to say is I find it very interesting and I think people are wisening up based on the current economic conditions that, there was a huge appetite for spending 50 or $60 to acquire a customer with an average order value of 45, 50, 55 in the past. And if you think about it, you're so many purchases out from profitability. And there was a time where first purchase profitability was an actual, not easy thing, but it was a very attainable thing. And what I find very, very funny is that some brands are very averse to taking a haircut with retention customers. And what I, what I mean by that is investing in a loyalty program or investing in a, you know, a beefier subscription program or rewarding those people with an extra discount. Not, it's, and I don't view it as like, oh, we're a discount brand, but people are very averse to nurturing their house file, but they're very, very bullish on overspending to acquire somebody. And a, a, a bad analogy, I almost said a bad word again. A bad analogy would be like, Imagine, imagine we're having this, we're strangers, we're doing this podcast at a bar. And if I came up to you guys and it was like, hey, I don't know you, but can I buy you a drink? Can I buy you a drink? Can I buy you a drink? Like, I'm constantly spending money trying to be your friend. But if I came up to you guys and said, hey, you know, it's a hot day out. Here's a, here's a, here's, here's a drink on, on me. It's probably less creepy. It's probably a little bit more approachable. <laughs> <laughs> and it's less expensive. You know, like you don't always have to focus on that net new person and spend aggressively. I think that if you can find a way to organically win them over, at least get them interested, there's, way, there's ways that your retention funnel can create the sales later on down the line in a very organic, natural way and not like a pushy, forcey kind of way. Yeah, with that analogy, it's like a great one of like, there's like, it's a better, um, like there's less pressure, I guess. Like they're like, there's like, it's more of a kind of like a kind act of kindness, right? Or it's like, yeah, it's on me. Like you don't have to do anything. And it like builds more of that loyalty. Like people, um, I'm, I love psychology. And so I won't go into too much of a tangent of it, but like, if you can give someone the opportunity to kind of like help you out or like give service or like feel like they're doing something that is like, they're motivated by it in their own actions, but you give them the opportunity to do so people like that feeling. It's like, oh, I'm you know, most people, oh, I'm helping someone or like, oh, I'm like getting to know this person and more like there's that 
genuine aspect of it. So it's super interesting that you bring that up and that like it's all about how you frame it and like the dialogue between a customer and a product or a brand or an agency, whoever. Um, and then or like friends over drink and, and something, you know, with that analogy. The one I use internally with clients is if same kind of analogy, we're at a networking event now. And if I walked straight up to you and said, hey, can I have your business card? Here's mine. That's very, very transactional. You're probably like, what the hell is this dude going to do with my, my information <laughs> on here? And and I'm like, you're definitely not a qualified leader. Like what I give you is a coaster. Like you're putting your drink on it. It's not a business. You're never going to hold on to it. But if we're casually having a conversation, hey, hey, where do you work? Oh, cool. You're at Malomo. I'm, I'm at Roadbuster. Like, I mean, um, I'm, at, I'm at GB. Uh, then it's it's so much more natural to hand a business card over to somebody. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so that's that's one thing where people don't quite get, and it's something that should be a little bit more focused on. I agree. Um, I, first of all, I'm going to share this episode with all my single friends to let them know. This, mm-hmm. Take this advice when you're, <laughs> when you're out next time. Uh, so thanks for that. <laughs> Came for retention. Stand for good advice. Uh, <laughs> uh, but Everything no. has an application, you know, Right. <laughs> everything's uh, connected on the transactional side, like especially like owning partnerships. Right. I feel this so much where um, there's this pressure, right. To like drive revenue. So there's this idea of like lead sharing, but you can't get to lead sharing with GB or any of the other top tier Shopify agencies before you bring value first and sort of build some trust. And I actually think it's the same on the consumer end. Um, obviously like a, a huge benefit to Malomo or any other post-purchase solution is we're going to take transactional messages and make them more personalized. And there's yeah. a very important reason for that. It's that transactional, um, situations are still really good areas to build trust and to bring value to the people that you're serving. Yeah. One thing I love is like with Outer Isle, we're we're a, a client or a customer of Maloma. Mm-hmm. And I love that every step of the way you get some sort of notification and it's less, hey, give me your business card and more, hey, what do you do? Because we have recipes in certain of the pages. The content's really clear. It gives you more information about the brand and value every step of the way. So once you have it, you kind of know what to do with it as long as you paid attention. You know, if, if you paid attention to the emails, you, you're going to get content in there that's going to be helpful the second you open that package. Yeah, absolutely. And, and as we know, those transactional messages are so much more highly engaged than a yeah. normal marketing email. So um, normally, like lucky for, for brands who are capitalizing on it, their customers are paying attention in those moments. Beverage companies don't win D to C. And it's not a pet peeve of mine, but I always like, kind of, I kind of look sideways at it when people think that just because Perfy has a website, that it's a D to C brand. Perfy's website is its retention site. It is a retention channel for six months to a year from now. Yes, it looks as though like I might be selling something that doesn't weigh 20 pounds to ship a 24 pack or 10 pounds to ship a 12 pack. It makes things impossible to win on D2C. It leaves you very little margin to spend on marketing. And early on, yes, I knew I was going to have a site that I think was dope. Like it was, I was very strict with certain things. I wanted to be very functional but not functional to acquire customers. Yeah, I've tested on ads just to see feedback on how people talk about it, see how much they hate me for selling a $3 soda, um, <laughs> things, things like that. But 
Perfy's acquisition channel is actually retail. And because I have the experience of working with brands, digital and retail, I'm able to execute with my know-how on the shelf. And once they see it, they taste it like, holy smokes, this tastes really good. You know, maybe I want to stock up. Then I have those channels as backup things. So with Adderall, we have acquisition and retention on the website. We're actually winning customers or earning customers on the website. But with Perfy, I have no intention to, to acquire a customer online. I have, I have no appetite for spending $40 to maybe profit five and which, which means I'm losing 35. I don't have the dollars to do that one, two, that's just not my, my strategy. So taking retail customers, winning them over, then wanting to learn more about the brand, having cool little bells and whistles and tricks for them to visit the website or Amazon, and then giving them more information and letting them feel that connection to the brand. That's my whole strategy. And there's, there's articles that have come out, like I think Think Testing published one last week. There's one badass brand that something weird happened with the investor and they may not make it. And I wanted to put like put one of those roll-up vehicles together and be like, this band's, this brand's badass, let's save them. Mm. Um, but it was already too, it was already too, too past the line. But they took that like all beverages are doomed. Like, yes, if your only strategy is to win online, you might you might run into some trouble. I don't know of any beverage brand that has won D to C. Like even some of the best beverage brands are probably at a loss. Like I know that, I don't know how C4 is profitable when I order 12 energy <laughs> drinks at like $14 on Amazon and Amazon yeah. takes, you know, like, I don't know if they are good for them. But the whole thing about, about Perfect for me is the website's a retention channel. So you'll see the subscription on there. You'll see certain savings. You'll see our NFT loyalty club where you have, as long as you hold a Perfy loyalty card, that's an NFT on Polygon blockchain. Oh wow! You, you, you can unlock certain perks. Like I'm going to be sending Starbucks gift cards, and you know, hopefully discounts to, to you know mental training apps where you can work on your IQ or do brain teasers just for fun. Like there's going to be certain perks with that where the customer will see so much value. The website will be a destination to go, almost like an old school AOL chat room. <laughs> you know, like, like I want to have a yeah. back end where people can be there like a community, almost like a the mini community. Reddit. Yeah. yeah. So that that's the whole thing for me with retention for a beverage company. And I think other brands can do it that don't have a beverage and it will only help them. But for me, 100% acquisition and retail retention on online. That is super interesting. I, I wonder, I, I would imagine that that's an, uh, that's a hot take. That would be considered a hot take, right? Oh, yeah. like, I don't think that a ton of beverage brands and we work with a lot of them who have been successful, right? Like obviously if they're investing in retention, they've, they've done a decent job on, on the acquisition <laughs> side probably. But, um, but yeah, I, I, I would imagine that that's not a, that's not a common opinion. And so it'll be really interesting to, to share with the audience and get some feedback. Uh, I think but I think your experience, like you said, right on the retail side has probably tremendously helped you, uh, understand how, how that sort of, um, how to leverage both channels effectively for different, uh, uh, in, in different, uh, aspects of the customer life cycle. We had a, we had a demo on Friday and Sunday in ShopRite for Perfy. And in, I think it was a couple hours sampling, maybe six to 12 cans. We sold 41 cans on Friday and 44 on Sunday. Now, if you think about the cost of what it, for me to pay for that demo and maybe six cans, that's my ad spend. And the amount of customers that are now perfect customers who've tried it, loved it so much, they love their sample so much that they went and bought it off the shelf. That's 44 customers for a couple hundred bucks. You would never win 44 customers 
on a Facebook ad, even in 2017, 2018, 2015 for 180. I mean, I won't say never. I'm sure somebody has a badass screenshot of Shopify or Facebook <laughs> business manager where they smoked yeah. it. Yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> but, but when you think about that, that's how you scale a beverage brand and then trade spend promos and all of those things. And you can start calculating an in-store, you know, CAC or whatever people do, but that's how I think about it. I just, I can't afford to spend to try to win customers online. I just don't have, I don't have the bank account to do it. Yeah. I think that's a great distinction. Like that's a great example too. Um, Why do you think so many beverage brands have stick packs now? Like they have powders. Powders, you could send three packs of powder in an yeah. envelope with a 29 or 39 cent stamp yeah. and acquire customers. Like you can send them out for free, like a thousand people for the cost of winning maybe five or 10 to try to buy a 12 pack of a beverage they don't even know they'll like. And they don't even care about your 100% satisfaction guarantee. So um, I think re retail is the way everyone in beverage knows that, I think. Um, what do you feel like you see from the GB side that brands regularly neglect when it comes to retention? I've got a, I think, I hope it's a great answer, but it's something new that we're applying at GB. We used to have three different divisions. It was community, creative, and innovation. Innovation is more retention. Uh, creative is organic, paid social stuff, even print. And community has been community management, social copywriting, scheduling posts, basically all social media man management, influencer management. And we've slowly peeled things off of that community department to the point where we're using the same strategies, but we've turned that community department into the story department. And the story department is exactly why I'm on this podcast, because I could talk about more about me as a founder of GB or as a CMO of Outer Isle or the, the founder of uh, Perfy. And it's, it's the exact application and execution of what we're doing with GB. And what I think brands lack is it's, you see more and more of it these days, but it has to have, I think it's going to be even more important. It's the same reason people are like, go on TikTok and tell your brand story, but it should be a department. That's like TikTok is one particular channel, you know, and it should be in everything you do, whether it's being on blogs, whether it's, you know, being a, a guest blogger or writing a blog with having a guest blogger write on yours about your story. There's so many different applications of what storytelling about. Like, I, I'll just go straight to it. My favorite book right now is from a, a SaaS guy, B2B guy. It's called Founder Brand. And it's kind of like um, the, the book called Story Brand, but it's about how founders should be telling their story more. And it's an anchor for marketing. Like you could take quotes from this podcast, turn it into you know, audiograms, or you can turn it into LinkedIn posts, or you could turn it into organic social posts if that's what your brand is all about, if they even care. But no matter what, getting your story out there is something I think a lot of brands are lacking. And it's exactly why GB didn't pivot specifically to go to TikTok. We, I've watched for like two years now and probably waited too long to decide, all right, this is how GB is going to approach telling stories. And it, it's going to start in our onboarding process with the brand's positioning and all of these different things that we do. And then how do we apply that now instead of doing 10 influencer partnerships that brands always question? Now it's like, you can't deny the value of a podcast. If a buyer says, Hey, I heard you on the Malomo podcast. You were awesome. I didn't know that about you. We'd love to try samples that the ROI on that compared against one hour of time and maybe a little bit of agency retainer is so positive that it's undeniable. And we are trying to do more things during this economic climate that are undeniable. So if brands told their story more, um, I think that'd be great. Yeah, this is something we've seen like time and time again. So I'm very happy that you brought it up in that the movement towards storytelling and the value of knowing someone for like 
who they are and being authentic to them is what's resonating with people right now. I think the like facade of just everything in life, like take it out of um, like e-commerce or business even generally, but like people are just like, you know what? I want to like break down the barriers, break down the walls. I want to know more about you. And so that's what people are connecting with. And that's what I think, that's why I, I really think TikTok is like blowing up right now is because it is so good at showing stories and showing so many stories of other different people like the it isn't the same algorithm of like facebook and social media that sh or of instagram that show you like exact like people like you tiktok shows like a ton of other different things so i'm very i'm i completely agree in that i think that is a great like niche thing to focus on of like that switch from community to story because I think that is what everyone wants right now is to know more about someone. And the example you gave is like, oh, I didn't know that about your story. Like I'm way more likely to now be loyal to your brand because I feel like there's a connection between us rather than like, you know, some some other type of content that you come that you interact with for a brand. Yeah, I think the only barrier to entry with having a story department in your business and this is something I'm going to go very, very deep into on, on LinkedIn in the coming weeks. The only uh, barrier to entry is being nervous to be on camera or not feeling that you're like, it's, it's like feeling less than, and mm -hmm. it took me a while to overcome that. You know, I went through some things where I turned in physically into a different person than what I'm used to. And I'm slowly fixing that. And tick, we're going to have a huge push on TikTok for, for Perfy. And we, we're, we're going to push our, the founders of our brands to be comfortable, you know, telling theirs, you know, we might not be cutting it or editing, editing it, but just grab a phone and, you know, tell your story, put a couple you know, pictures behind you on the green screen or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> put some, just, put some text. It doesn't have to be perfect. You know, it's kind it, of like acceptable. Like it, it doesn't even have to be TikTok. It can, yeah. it can be a, a more polished about us page. It can be um, posting on LinkedIn more. It can be being on podcasts for me. I am a fan of being on podcasts, not because it feels good for me, but I think I'm more effective in telling the story in a way that's not staged. For me, it's the whole staging of what I'm going to say, what I'm going to look at. When I'm on a podcast, I can just stare wherever I want, you know? Yeah. Good, but, but I think it's a combination of all of these things. I don't think TikTok is a silver bullet. I think the chances of you not going viral is still a lot higher, even though the algo is different. Um, but I think it's a great opportunity. And it's like mm -hmm. literally the wild, wild west. And I don't think it's watered down yet. Um, but I think podcasts can be a lot more specific and i think that you know a dozen podcast listeners that tune into a podcast are going to listen with a lot more intent than somebody who's scrolling through on tiktok that's looking for the next funny viral video or whatever and there's yeah. no, no nothing against that that's just it's so entertaining yeah um, but for me there's it's just again depends on the founder mm -hmm. no i completely agree like i i love podcasts too um yeah i yeah, think we're like mariah uh, this has been like a hot topic, even internally for us, um, as a, you know, partnerships marketing team, as a, as an executive go to market team is like, how can we get the story out in more natural and organic ways? And when you, Vasi, you hit on this, like exactly how you're thinking about it. This podcast, for example, can be repurposed in like seven different formats and it's evergreen. Uh, you know, when we, two years from now, we could rerun this episode or snippets from this episode because they're relevant to something that we're really focused on for that quarter or for that year or whatever it may be. Um, 
And I do think that there is a lot of authenticity in podcasting versus a lot of other channels. I feel the exact same way. Like I get so much more nervous when it is scripted because there's this expectation of this is how it should look rather mm. than like, there is no expectation. Like, oh, <laughs> Which we also it. designed it to be like that. Right. <laughs> like we, yeah. we, yes, we, we purposely like it to be, you know, hope not nerve wracking and conversation based, but I think, yeah, we're, the same way. I love that point, Noah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we're we're sort of wrapping up here, Vasa. Unless there's anything else you definitely wanted to talk about, given your experience, you're the perfect person to ask this super loaded question of like <laughs> one tip that's helped you throughout your career sort of get to where you are. Uh, or you know, you can take that anywhere you want, whether it's a, a book that you read that changed your sort of trajectory or uh a big risk that you took sort of wherever you want to take it floor floor is yours. I'd love to hear what you credit, um, you know, where you are today to. Yeah. For me, I think for a while, I always worried about what other people think thought of me. Like, and like, so I got a, a funny example. It hasn't happened yet, but Wednesday night, there's an event that I'm going to um, it's in Marina del Rey for a startup CPG. And it's like one of those black tie, event mm. type things but it's at, it's at um at daniel's house and i'm not a black tie person <laughs> not i just i'm not I'm, I'm just not anymore so i'm gonna rock a shirt that has a t-rex with a sloth on the back of it and it's shooting out lasers from its eyes and that's my version <laughs> of being dressed up it's like it's it's like a vegas shirt for me and, i love that or, and i'll probably throw the gold sequin jacket on top of it just to be a little bit you know um yeah, a little fancy there, but it's like a $20 <laughs> jacket from Amazon. Like, I, th I think the the underlying theme there is that as far as I can remember, I was as myself as possible. And through the years, certain things about myself that didn't serve me, I've had to sacrifice. So mm -hmm. you're constantly evolving as a person. I'm not trying to get too philosophical or anything like that. No, but the, it's it. the truth. I've, <laughs> I've always just tried to be myself and not try to fit in the mold of what other people think. Um, you know, I've got two sleeves of tattoos on my arms. And I was once told by a CEO, you'll, you'll basically never amount to anything because of your tattoos. You'll never be able to sell your business like I have. And it was a funny story. I won't go too into detail now because I don't want to be able to be able to decipher who it was. But um, I was like, that's not true. Like, that's especially not true because I know that I'm leaving this company in like a month or two and I'm starting my own thing. I don't <laughs> think people are going to give a shit yeah. if I have yeah. tattoos. And, no. and lo and behold, years pass and nobody really cares about anything anymore. As long as you're a hard worker, you're yourself, you're a good person. I think if you check out most of those boxes, you're, you're all right. You know? So mm -hmm. um, I think that's one thing I've had in my career. That's helped me advance. Like when I went to Fridays, I was like, I don't care if you put me in the kitchen, I'll wash the dishes. When I went to the nightclub, I'll start as a dishwasher. I'll clean your bathrooms. I don't care. I know that this is the place to be and I'll, I'll earn my way there. And I think part of that mindset of I'll do a lot of the dirty work. I'm not going to do it forever. And when I get past it, I'm not going to be too good to do the dirty work again. But as long as I'm down to do the dirty work and I don't really care, it, it's not a big deal. I remember seeing people that when I went to college with and I was in the nightclub and I was bartending or sometimes I was before I got to the bar, I was like a, basically a, a busser, the equivalent of a busser at that place. And I didn't, I wasn't embarrassed that they saw me working at a, at a bar and they're all doing like crazy jobs, like cool jobs. Like this is what I got to do, you know, and I paid off my loans. In under 10 years, like six years, I paid off my loans and there were a lot. Wow. And I did what I had to do. So having that ability to be righteously myself was has been something that served me. There's things I've had to evolve, but it's it's been helpful. 
That's yeah. awesome. Awesome advice. And I think, I think uh, sort of going back to what we talked about right before this, like authenticity has probably never been more important. I feel like in this day and age, because it's, it's pretty easy to see when somebody is just wants a transactional relationship and that's becoming less and less accepted. Uh, I mean, like the tattoo is a good example where there, you know, there might've been a time 50 years ago or so where the CEO might've, he wasn't a hundred percent right still, but like would have been a lot more right <laughs> or a, a, his probability of being right might've been a lot higher then. Right. But yeah. now it's like, people want to know who you really are. Um, they want you to be authentic. They want you to actually focus on like building a real relationship with them and all of these things, right. Tie back into, um, the DDC D to C space really, really well. So, um, not for that reason, but I love that answer. I think that's why there's so many Einstein shirts with him having tattoos, not, not to focus on tattoos, <laughs> yeah. but, but it's like, there's a lot of people that won't buy a shirt with Einstein on it. Like maybe they will, but now that he has like a face tattoo or some sort of that, like, right. yep, I can relate to this guy because he's smart as hell and, he, and he's got his tattoos. He's like a human mullet, you know, right. a bit of business, a little bit of party. <laughs> yeah. yeah. That's um, an incredible analogy. I love that. Human mullet. <laughs> yeah. All right. I, uh, thanks I so recently, much. Yeah, no worries. I recently just cut my mullet, so I had to pay some tribute to it. Oh, nice. <laughs> we'll also need a picture of that. Yeah, we'll uh, it's, it's, it's too fancy. <laughs> oh. Too fancy. That's that. That doesn't seem like you, Vasa. <laughs> yeah. This is a good one. Yeah, this has been so fun, though. Um, thank you for joining. It was a blast talking to you. Awesome. Well, thank you for having me.